Before we get started today, a quick reminder that you can feature on the Do More Good podcast through our mini-series Spotlight. We have a few episodes recorded and another couple lined up, which we'll release over the next few weeks. It's just 20 minutes talking about whatever's on your mind right now. Head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight to find out more. Meanwhile, we've only got celebrity CEO Kate Lee for you. We have exam disasters, making your boss look good, embracing social media and handling a crisis in your converse. Welcome to Season 5 of the Do More Good Podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, Welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, Do More. Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. Here we are, James, episode number 59 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Kenneth, this is the fourth day in a row that I have seen your little smiling face on my screen. So who could fail to be in a good mood with that, eh? I know, and we're normally on here at like, what what, what was it last night? We were on here about 11 o'clock at night? It's the late night versions. Yeah. (laughs) It was indeed. It was indeed. What have you been up to? How's, How's the last couple of weeks been? It's been good, yeah. And in fact, this week has been really good, hasn't it? We've, what was it, a week, a week or so ago, you put out a tweet talking, asking people if they wanted to talk about whether they have been affected by COVID and the situations in their, their charities. And we've had a massive response to that. So it's actually the episode before this one, so the one that we just released. But that was really good, talking to people with different, different opinions and different kind of viewpoints on it. It's, it's been great. Yeah, that's, that has been interesting. And everyone, everyone at home all right? You, you coping still at home? Me, I'm fine. I lock myself away, don't I? So I'm, I'm fine. But yeah, it's summer holidays now, so there isn't the distraction of school for the little ones. Yes. But they seem much happier about that, which is nice for them. I know. Like I was saying to someone earlier, you just have to look around the house. And every time I turn around, there's like a new bit of mess somewhere. Like it just feels yeah. like they're a whirlwind through the house. The stick of homeschooling is well and truly gone. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I need to find some other thing to motivate them. But yeah. How's your week been? Yeah, yeah, good. I, I, like you, James, I think I've really enjoyed those those conversations. It's, it's great to be able to help. You know, you, you realise the impact of this thing when you talk to, to other people outside of your normal circles, you know. So I thought that was interesting, hopefully helps people out. But I listened to a great podcast this week. I think one I've mentioned before, Squiggly Careers. Yeah. And they, they talked about humour at work or humour in, in the workplace, which... I, mean, I think we're both quite advocates for, you know, and I've been trying to embrace it a little bit this week, but they, they used a word, word called levity, which basically means delivering quite a serious message with a bit of humour in it. And so I thought it summed up quite quite well what the Do More Good podcast is all about, don't you think? I think, I think you're spot on. I think we would really struggle if we, if we were told to be serious, wouldn't we? No, <laughs> yeah. no talk of crisps and peanuts. What would we do? No, exactly. But no, it's uh, it's good. We're, we're working through it, and um, you know, lots, lots, lots going on as there always is at work. So it's nice to have the distraction of a brilliant guest that we've got with us this week. Well, it, indeed, we've got to be on best behaviour tonight, haven't we? We've got a serious guest. Yes, we have. Shall we crack on and introduce her? Let's do that. Go on. Okay. So as we say, we've got a really exciting guest who who's joined us this this week. 
we wanted to have her on in the past. We've spoken about her for a, a few months, um, actually a few years. Uh, and we were really pleased when she said that she would come and join us and talk to us today, which is brilliant. So just in terms of her background, she joined the British Red Cross in 2004, spent a number of years in various operational delivery roles in the organisation, spending her final three years as the Director of Strategy and Corporate Performance and as Deputy CEO. And after a brief spell in consultancy, she went on to take her first role as a CEO for the Mitten Hospice Group, who provide palliative care across Coventry and Warwickshire. And then in 2015, she joined Click Sargent, the UK's largest children's cancer charity. And this role gave her the opportunity to work strategically across both national policy and operations, as well as wrestling with the challenges of income generation, which James and I know only too well. And what followed after that was a successful, what followed the successful stint at Click Sargent was in March of this year, um, she went on to join the, one of the UK's most well-known charities, taking the helm at the Alzheimer's Society right before the COVID pandemic took place. So it wasn't the easiest start, I'm sure. And her reputation and, and, and really a people-centred approach come through in, in, all, in all she does. She values lifelong learning and thoroughly enjoys meeting new people and organisations who challenge her. And if you follow her on Twitter, you'll know how much of a passion she has, not only for the sector and her role in organisation, but also for her team. So we'd like to welcome Kate Lee to the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing, Kate? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you. Made me nervous now, giving me that introduction. And obviously, uh, I'm glad that you've been having discussions about levity and humour, because uh, I think anyone that knows me probably means, feels that that will probably work quite well for me. Oh, good. This should be a perfect blend then of, uh, you know, this will be our best podcast ever, hopefully. Ever, obviously. <laughs> Well, I couldn't help but notice, Kate, you, you smiled your way through that introduction, you know, maybe reminiscing <laughs> about the good years, but you had a big smile on your face. It's, yeah. it's been a fun ride? It has been a brilliantly fun ride, a brilliantly fun ride. Just, I've been so lucky. Oh, I've just had the best career. And when you hear someone sum it up, you think, you know, uh, you use my Red Cross, I think like, oh yeah, I did love it there. That was great. And then you talk about Mike and I, oh yeah, I did love it there. That was great. I've been so lucky. How did it all start then, Kate? How, what was that? What did you, I mean, thinking back now, you know, school, <laughs> university, how, how, yeah, life, how, how did you get into it? What was that trigger for you? Did you fall into it or were you, were you always destined to get into the, the third sector? Oh, no, I fell into it. Absolutely fell into it with a bang. I didn't really know anything about charities when I was young. And I was really bad, actually. I was a couple of years ago, I was speaking to the National RAG Conference, you know, and I, I just looked out across the room at all these amazing students doing all this fantastic work for social good. All It was a careers talk about getting into the sector, you know, and they were all able to say all these incredible things they'd done right from school to have these fabulous CVs for getting into the sector. And I was thinking, I don't think I knew anything about charities really before, uh, before going to university. Yeah, I didn't do very well in my A-levels kind of, I am hope that you can kind of just completely mess up a bit of your life and still go on to achieve amazing things. But obviously now I have a 17 year old daughter doing her A-levels. I don't share that with her very often. <laughs> so I have important is she works very hard and she has to pass them. And so I went to uh, uni in Sheffield and I applied for a public administration degree. In part that I'd wanted to study pure, pure economics and I didn't get the A-level results to do it. So I was looking at other options uh, and I fancied kind of to do kind of politics, public admin. So I, I took that on. I didn't really totally understand what the course was about now, looking back on it, I think if I was honest. 
And I did a placement year. So in my placement year, I went off to the NHS for a year uh, in my third year at uni. And uh, it's really funny. I look back on the naivety of my youth. I did one job in the NHS for a year and decided the whole entire public sector wasn't for me. Didn't like it. They were all really odd. I just, it was just not for me. And I am... I knew that quite early on in that I did some work on waiting lists and I was pulling together some, some stats. And I said to my boss, this is a kind of 19 year old me, I said, these don't make any sense. You're measuring the wrong thing here. And they said, yeah, yeah, we know. I was like, well, this is a lot of work to be measuring the wrong thing. They were like, yeah, yeah, we know. Just, just pull them together anyway. I was like, but no, there's a better thing you could look at. They were like, we don't care. Could you just pull that together? Oh, this isn't going to work. So I came back in my final year and said to um, my professor at the time, my tutor on my degree, I said, I think I made a terrible mistake. I don't, I don't think the public sector is for me. I can't work to targets and goals that I don't really understand. And incredible, really. He said, no, I, I kind of agree. I think you're very creative. I think you're quite entrepreneurial. Have you thought about charities? And I said, like, no. <laughs> so, well, look, why don't we reshape your final year slightly and um, we'll allow you to do some work in charity law. Why don't you do a, a, a theory piece on looking at charity governance rather than public sector governance? Why don't you, don't you look at policy and campaigning rather than pure kind of social policy? So in my final year, I was allowed to kind of have a bit of a charity focus and, and it probably started there. And I left there and got my first job in a charity working for St John's Ambulance in London. And, um, and I've never looked back and I'll never work in any other sector. It's, I'll never, ever work anywhere else. I mean, I'll work in lots of charities. I've been trustees in lots of charities, but it's just incredible. I share the, the A-level story as well. You know, I massively messed my A-levels up, um, as, my, as my parents <laughs> love to remind me. Absolutely. But for anyone listening, you know, maybe your daughter, anybody else at that age, you too, you know, you can, you can fail your A-levels and still go on to, to either be the CEO of a national charity or yeah. have a podcast with Kenneth Foreman. Either way, you know, <laughs> you can still make a massive success. Often when we talk to people, they will highlight somebody who really pushed them and really or helped them or directed them in that right way. Would you say that that professor at university did that for you or are there, presumably there have been yeah. people all along the journey? I think I was really lucky that, and, and um, you know, and I do think there's part of it luck. And yeah, I did work hard, certainly once I got into work and that real practical application really worked for me actually. And I, and I realized probably academia, I'd enjoyed doing my degree and I, I did, I did uh, recover and get a reasonably good degree result but um, I think once I got into work I just loved it and just felt that that was a better environment for me and I, I think I've been very lucky in my career that I've worked with people who've seen something in me that I didn't maybe see in myself certainly someone like Professor Haig at U university who just had the kind of nounce to think about who I was and what motivated me and put me on a different track but I've, I had a couple of managers. I remember very early on in my days at Red Cross, I had a, an incredible manager who I've, I've kept in touch with ever since, a woman called Jean Henderson, who said, I just thought it was really incredible. She said, Look, I want to develop you so you can be my boss. And I thought, what a really brilliant thing to do, to be, you know, have so little ego as a leader that you would say to someone, you've got so much potential. You've got potential to go further than me in my career and I'm going to really draw that out of you. 
and I obviously worked for Nick Young when I was at Red Cross as well. Nick was my boss for eight years and again, someone who just really sponsored me and pushed me and challenged me. And I think these, those people did make a huge, huge difference, created opportunities for me. I did embrace them and I took them and worked hard on them. And I recognized and was grateful for, for that sponsorship. But actually, it's something that's deeply affected who I am as a leader. I try to do that a lot. I try to look for talent in people and build people up. Just spend a lot of time building people up. It's interesting, Kate, because you talked about there and you're obviously very much a kind of a people person, right? This is obviously going out on audio, but the way you joined our Zoom call this evening was, was just fantastic. And it, and it put a massive smile on both of our faces when we started. But I just want to reflect on what you were saying then about you had good people that were identifying things in you and, and, and they were pulling you along. And I expect you had great relationships and you were very good at that naturally in developing relationships. If you hadn't been that good at developing the relationships, but you still had the acumen, do you think you'd have got the development opportunities that you did? It's really interesting. And I, I think, again, uh, I think it's something about the people that I've worked with, the people that I try to think about is not just the kind of noisy leapy about, you know, I have been the pretty much probably the Labrador puppy of the sector my entire career and that I'm very leapy about. But I think actually just trying to recognise what people's strengths are and accept. I really appreciate that you need just such a wide range of strengths. You just need such different strengths in people around you. So actually pulling out the quieter people, pulling out those people who love data, just acknowledging and seeing that in people. I've been really influenced because I started my day today with this brilliant call with a guy called Duncan Fraser who runs an organisation called Kind and Useful, Be Kind, Be Useful, which I just think is brilliant. We were talking about the things that really make a difference is probably not striving for that promotion it's just being really useful in the job you're in. I've probably had that culture my whole life, which is, I've always been quite ambitious, but it's like, just make this job that I'm in the best job I can possibly do. Always make my boss look good. Just really try to be that real beacon of positivity in organisations, because I think in being incredible, well, I'm not always positive, probably the, the group I'm working with at the moment would be like, to probably not recognize this but uh, I think the thing for me is that people want to be with positive people people want energy people want to be motivated you want to walk out of a room feeling a bit brighter than you walked in and if Mm -hmm. I can give that to people so that they excel that's the most special gift I can Mm -hmm. give I do care deeply about our causes all the causes I've ever worked for but actually the thing I feel passionately about is that the staff that deliver that stuff frontline feel a million dollars fundraisers you know whoever it is need to know that they're the most special people and that's that's me the way that I want to be and I Mm. think that's that's maybe what's attracted people to I don't know in their (laughs) madness giving me good jobs (laughs) yeah I was going to ask you a question about changing your focus in those different roles as you've moved through your career but actually, it feels like that you, what you've just talked about is, is that passion. And I love the bit about do whatever job you are doing to the, to the best of your ability. Make your, and also, and I quite like that, make your boss look good, particularly if they want you to be their boss. But really focus on that. 
and bring that passion to what you do that's a kind of common thread throughout whatever you're doing whether you have just walked in the door at the charity or whether you're the ceo i'm guessing your focus changes as you move through from more of a doing to a encouraging but that passion throughout yeah i think both actually i mean i still do a fair amount of doing is a different sort of doing but i I still will every now and then, you know, sit down and write stuff from scratch. Give you an example at the moment. I want a new policy in my organization. I'm doing quite a lot of stuff at the moment on black and minority ethnic stuff and race and anti-racism outside of society. And we've done some new commitments to that. And one of the things I want to publish is I want a new policy about how we deal with harassment from service users to our staff. And it's a little bit more complicated than I've done in the past because lots of our service users have dementia. So therefore, they've got a cognitive impairment. They might not even know that they're being racist or homophobic or unkind. You know, they're not always conscious of what they're saying or how they're speaking, particularly in later stage dementia. Not always, but occasionally. So actually, it's not as it's not sometimes quite as straightforward as saying got zero tolerance. And if you do, we won't work with you. So it's a little bit complicated and it's a really good debate in the organisation. And I've been really interested in doing that myself from scratch, working on that policy, getting in policies from other people's organisations, reading those. And in part, I think it's because it keeps you fresh. It keeps you in the mix. I think it's what we do in the sector. Everybody gets stuck in, just get the job done that needs to be done. So I think there is a lot of influencing. I mean, the big thing I think is probably also being a role model and leading by example and walking the talk of how I want other people to be. Mm. And, you know, when everyone's rushed off their feet, I want people to just get stuck in and do what needs to be done. So it's really important that I'm comfortable in doing that too. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, getting your hands dirty and getting getting your teeth into some kind of mini project, I'm sure is as rewarding as massive organisation-wide strategies. But just going back a second, Kate, so you went through, obviously, British Red Cross. You, you survived a lot of time there. You, you, you did your stint. You must have got that uh, carriage clock for the mantelpiece. Um, but then you took on your first CEO role coming out of there, which, from what I understand, was a, a regional hospice providing yeah. palliative care. What was that step like for you at that point in terms of going from a larger organisation to a much smaller organisation? And was that part of the, that, was that part of your plan? in terms of getting that experience being more hands-on or was it just it just happened and, and you, you, you yeah. jumped on for the ride? I, I've never really had a plan but uh, I like the thought that I have. I could re- retrofit <laughs> you say you can, yeah, it's my fine. life now. Can I, just, can I just rewrite history yeah. and say yeah I had this incredible plan. No I didn't have a plan. So when I was at Red Cross and I'd been there a long time so I've been there 16 years and I kind of knew that I'd probably gone as far as I could in the organisation realistically and had a great career there, been really successful, started as a community service manager in South Yorkshire, managing a group of volunteers, one of the most brilliant things any young manager can do, manage volunteers, if you've got, if you can't take the pay off them and you've got no, no control over them via the kind of, you know, contractual control, it's an incredible way to sharpen your management skills really, really quickly and how you motivate people, it's the most powerful thing. 16 years later, deputy chief exec, big portfolio, UK and international strategy for a blue chip charity. But I just think I got to a point where I'd done some professional development. I was one of the first, well, I was the first year of the CLAW social leadership program. I was the first year of the CLAW program, 2010. 
So I was on this professional development program and just really wanted a bit of a reevaluation of life. I had young children at the time, now older, but around that time I discovered that my daughter was dyslexic and was going to need quite a lot of support at home. I was commuting to London or, commute, or, or traveling internationally a lot of the time. So the whole load of things came together with me deciding that I was going to leave Red Cross, but without a job to go to. And I think that was a huge step and really frightening. I think after being at 16 years at one place, you do get a bit like you didn't, you don't know if you've just been successful there because you work there as opposed to saying like, mm. actually I might not be this successful if I went to any other organization. Mm. I felt I didn't have the networks people had that had leapt about between charities and new people that they worked with five years ago. You know, I didn't have those networks. And I wasn't desperately spontaneous, actually. I was quite frightened about losing my job because I thought, oh, you know, I don't know how any of that all works. So for me, it was a big step. Sorry, Kate, just, you said it was a big step. Was it as a big step from Click Sergeant to Alzheimer's Society as that was at that time? For different reasons, that was a big step. Really? <laughs> yeah, that, that was more of an enforced step. It was kind of the opposite. I think actually... I think when I left Red Cross, I literally decided on the Friday, I had a coaching session, decided on the Friday and resigned on the Monday because if I thought about it any longer, I'd have chicken out and do it. <laughs> my boss started screaming when I told him. It was really, oh. really, really fast. But it was good. And I, I had 10 months out and I did some consultancy stuff and tried my hand in lots of different charities, learned lots of stuff, did my claw thing full time. And then the regional job came up at the hospice and, and there was lots of things about it that worked. It was very local to home. It was still a kind of 11 million pound charity. So it wasn't a massive step back, but obviously it was from Red Cross. Yeah. First exec's role, great way to cut my teeth, really. So, yeah, so I went for it and I, I got the job, which was great and really enjoyed it. But I think the difference was, I think a big difference for me is I wasn't ready to leave Click Sergeant right think on one i was maybe being pushed away from red cross in a way like i felt like my time there was up completely opposite leaving click sergeant i think it didn't occur to me until well after i'd accepted the alzheimer's job that i would actually have to leave click sergeant in order to <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do both <laughs> well it occurred to me kind of over christmas and i had this shocking realization that i was gonna have to leave and i was it was devastating <laughs> <laughs> so why why the move at the time did you just you saw the role and fancied it or they knocked on your door and offered you buckets of cash and you couldn't turn it down or <laughs> that, obviously do you know i wasn't approached for the alzheimer's job how weird is that i've been approached by headhunters for the most random jobs in the world and then the one job that i probably would be tempted for no one phoned me about <laughs> a bit cheeky honestly don't you so my mum has dementia. So my mum's got end stage dementia and she's had it for 16 years. And it's been a huge part of my life for 16 years. My dad was a sole carer until January 2019 when he couldn't cope anymore and had a big carrying the carer breakdown. And my sister and myself and my dad agreed that it was time for it to go into residential care. And that was a huge traumatic wrench for him and, and for us. And she is in a superb care home so but it's been really difficult but dementia has been such a big part of my life so I always knew that if Alzheimer's Society came up I would be incredibly tempted and it just came I, up I love her. the fact that recruitment consultants around the country now are kicking themselves and missing out on the commission aren't they that are just I just that I was, I was like... and the other thing was this, is, this sounds really big-headed oh I'll tell you anyway I was like 
well, surely they're going to phone me. Surely they're going to phone me. They haven't phoned me. It was the same. It was the same with me. It was the same with me. I kept hearing Kenneth kept calling everybody else in the sector to host a podcast with him, and I was just sat there waiting and waiting. Call come. Last on the list. Took a while, didn't it? And you get to a stage that you want them to phone just so you can say no. <laughs> so I, I went online and I looked and thought, oh, I'm going to do any closes. And it was the next day. Can you believe that? So wow. I literally got my application in for Alzheimer's Society at the 11th hour. And because of that, I really hadn't contemplated the whole leaving to sergeant thing. Because I just thought, you know, I'd known from the September when it was announced that Jeremy was leaving, that it would be coming up at some point. And then... I just thought, oh, I'm sure I'll get a call. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get a call. And then I didn't get a call. So literally, I just thought, oh, I wonder when it does close, if it's advertised then. So I went online to look if it was advertised and saw it was closing the next day. So I banged an application in. And it was quite a whirlwind of an application process, recruitment process. Got the job without really, not without thinking about it. I mean, I really prepped for the job, but it was so quick. It was literally within two weeks almost I was kind of got the job offer and uh and so it really occurred to me genuinely occurred to me after I'd accepted the job that it was going to be about leaving quick sergeant and I was quite good <laughs> oh I bet you were because everything that I think you've read and obviously you've been you've been a voice in the sector you you know you're very open as you are being with us now you were very you know we were really su- not surprised but we were thankful when you accepted the invite to come on and we know that you put yourself out there and obviously in- like to encourage we thought we sector. better ask hadn't we in case you were <laughs> sat at home waiting for the call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly when you eventually emailed <laughs> exactly but uh, i wanted to touch on i mean joining Alzheimer's society at the time when you did obviously there was some kind of well-publicized challenges that you were that you were walking into culture probably being one of them and I wanted to ask as a as Kate Lee the CEO how how do you break the pattern of a culture and 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 try and kind of introduce a new one and bring your style is it is it something that you do very very quickly or have you took your time over that and really understood it before trying to to change it well, I think there's a difference between how I would have done it if coronavirus hadn't imposed a whole alternative approach in thinking about the answer to that exact question i was due to start on the first of april and so i booked uh, a session with my lovely coach nigel for the 17th of march we were going to have a session and we were going to talk through how do i want to enter alzheimer's society as a chief exec how do i want to be what do i want to leave behind from the chief exec i've been what do i want to newly do how do i want to position myself how do i want to set my priorities you know, what style do I want to take? So we were having this big discussion on the 17th of March. And then, of course, at the very end of February, the Guardian articles broke about the organisation and the kind of accusations of culture issues, bullying. It happened very quickly that the chairman of Alzheimer's Society and myself and the chairman of Quick Sergeant had a discussion about whether I could start early. And so that was on the Friday and I started on the Monday morning on the 1st of March or Tuesday morning I think it was so uh, I actually had a conversation about how I wanted to enter Alzheimer's Society two and a half weeks after I'd been there (laughs) that all went to pop and I just arrived a kind of usual like in a total flat mess I might the only thing I managed to sort out is I wanted some new converse 
I come from a children's charity. I've loved working in a young people's charity. You get to wear your jeans and your cons all day. And I was quite, that was one of the things I was quite sad about leaving behind. And then I thought, no, I don't have to be a grown up. I can stay in Converse. It's going to be my key thing I'm going to do is stay in Converse. So the only thing I'd managed to do before I started was buy a new pair of Converse. That was it. And literally <laughs> rocked up on Monday morning in a new pair of shoes and not knowing where on earth I was going or what I was doing. We were all talking about what a whirlwind of a year 2020 has been. It sounds like for you, like the two-week recruitment process, you know, then having to admit that you're going to leave Click Sergeant, then you've got the kind of situation that you walked into, then you've got coronavirus and you've got Black Lives Matter ex- exploding on the global stage. It has been a year for you, hasn't it? <laughs> well, I've only... I haven't met all my directors in person yet. I mean, in some ways, thank goodness, I did start on the 1st of March because as it was, I did go right through the start of coronavirus, the start of lockdown with the team. And I think it had been really, really hard to have started on the 1st of April and I missed some of those crucial first weeks of planning. I've done three days in the office before we went into lockdown. I've met half of my directors kind of once. I've met about three other people. I think I've met the cleaner at crutch fryers and and the lady that runs the library and I think that's about it so yeah just full on and so that going back to that question about culture change I think Mm. what's quite hard is I'm also very tactile and I'm very loud and I'm very leaky about and wave my arms around and I describe myself as chief cheerleader and all that's been quite hard by Zoom because, mm. you know, it's like having your right arm cut off when you're someone who's very used to reading facial expressions and who interacts with who and who avoids each other in the kitchen and what's going on there mm. then. That culture change piece has been quite difficult. Um, and I've been lucky that I've just been so welcomed into the organisation. They have been brilliant and suspended all judgment and belief and just gone with the flow. James is running a bit late as usual, so it gives me a quick opportunity just to give you an update on where you can find more about us on the social channels. So we're on Twitter and Instagram at DoMoreGoodPod. You can also visit us on the website at DoMoreGood.uk. There you can find loads of episodes and information, and we're also launching our new newsletter soon, so you can hear all about our latest episodes and get some of the VIP content. Oh, here he is. Come on, James. Where have you been? So do you think there's anything that you've that you've done because of lockdown and because of you know meeting teams and meeting staff members over Zoom? Do you think there's anything that you've done during this period that actually you're like, I probably wouldn't have done that normally, but actually this has really worked? And I guess I'm kind of a part of that yeah. question is looking about the other question about what can we take from this period that we'll actually take back when we return to some kind of normal? Yeah, loads actually. One of the big issues as chief exec anywhere, not you, but as an organisation as big as Alzheimer's Society, is about visibility and access. Yeah. And no one loves kind of having all these hours and hours of back-to-back Zoom meetings. But one of the things I've found is really helpful is the flexibility it gives you. Yesterday, I dropped into our Southwest Regional meeting for kind of 20 minutes to just tell them that I love them all to bits, what were they all up to, what do they want me to change, what's working, what's not, and then kind of left again. Well, you know, the reality is I could never have done that. I would never have done that. It would take me a year before I met that team in person. So actually, that level of flexibility you get out of working this way, I quite like. It is a really productive, not having the travel between meetings is a really productive use of time for me and I've and I've tried to put that to good use by just 
just trying to do lots of stuff that would be hard to do if I was literally traveling between those groups and I'd like to try and keep that up really I think that's been really powerful and the other thing I do is I do a Monday morning briefing every single Monday and it's very self-indulgent and I think that I wouldn't have probably got away with doing it if we weren't in lockdown because I've done it under the kind of guise of keeping all our furloughed staff close and but um, it's like Good Morning Alzheimer's Society, like on the sofa with Kate this morning. And have <laughs> lots, of lev- lots of levity, right? Yeah, crazy <laughs> guests. We have people with dementia on and carers and speakers from all over the place and members of staff and anyone I've met that I've liked. So I'm like, would you mind coming on my Monday morning show? And that's great. And it's just kind of 30 minutes every Monday. And it's just about keeping the organisation connected. But it's also a bit about an introduction to me, really. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to talk to you about leadership through a through a crisis, which, you know, essentially we are in. It's dragging on. It's the most mundane <laughs> crisis, isn't it? But it feels like you've touched on a couple of points there that you would suggest other leaders consider about presence and being available and having the access to you. And, and, and maybe... The word of the week clearly is levity as well. And maintaining. <laughs> is there anything else you would add to that? And how have, maybe what have you learned from this? It's been such a massive thing for all of us. Yeah, I think there's a few things that I've probably been glad I knew that I've been taught by wise people in the past that I've drawn on really a huge amount over these last kind of four or five months. I think two that spring to mind that, I just think have been really good for me. One is once when I was going through a really, really terrible time in a previous job and and a very, very difficult situation, the chairman sat me down and said, are you a good person? And I said, yeah, I I think I'm a good person. He said, are you trying your best? And I said, yeah. He said, then what the hell more can you do? And I, and I ask myself that a lot. And I say that a lot to people just, are you a good person and are you trying your best? And you know what, what the hell more can we expect from you right now? And I, I keep myself sane with that because I think otherwise there's times when, you know, I think, oh, maybe someone else should have done this. Someone could have done this better than me. And I think, well, you know what, that's someone else's call to make. I am a good person and I am trying my best. And I think the other thing that's really helped me in this crisis phase, because there's so much ambiguity and no one knows what on earth's going on. And I'm someone who is tempted to think that I have to have the answer. That comes with the territory of being chief exec. You don't get to put the job title on the badge if you don't have the answers. And that's just not true, but that's how it feels. And I, again, a really, really great person I deeply admire said to me look what what staff need you to do in order to feel safe for them to feel safe here is hear them and make sure they know you care not answer their questions just listen to them listen to what they're saying and let them know you heard let them know you care and be honest about saying I haven't got the answer to that because and again I think that's helped hugely it helps me hugely deal with that natural urge to kind of try and answer everything because there's just not been the answers has there for any of us and there's still not now and I, I think that's part of the challenge yeah no really and, and and you know if you talk about trying your best want to just kind of slightly take it off on a tangent you try your best at social media don't you Kate I mean, what, what, <laughs> what, what role 
Are you what? a bit rude there? Is this levity? Yeah, this is levity. <laughs> what? We were thinking about, you know, you, you, I think you, we, we've obviously read your Twitter feed and, and we don't use other <laughs> platforms, but, you know, I, I wanted to know what role social media plays in the life of Kate Lee, to be honest. Oh, a huge, a huge role. I think it's like everything from my pseudo-therapist through to, um, yeah, it, it's so much a crucial part. I mean, I just still, I mean, I've talked a lot about this and I've done talks on this for, for people about saying, like, for me, it's not just a nice to have tool anymore. I think it's mm. an absolutely vital part of being a chief executive charity in the UK. I mean, the, it gives service users direct access to me, which is really important to me because I'm kind of all about transparency and honesty and trust. Mm. I've had to get better. And the thing is that one thing I've realized is jobs get bigger. The platform gets bigger. So, you know, the number of people... So I used to have this thing about I would always respond to any tweet to me about an issue and and just being realistic. You know, sometimes I switch my Twitter on and like my feed is just full and I think, oh my goodness. I just think it's a really crucial tool. And I I I know lots of people wrestle. In fact, someone said it to me the other day, and they said they really admire how I somehow seem to get the balance between the personal and the professional. But I think mm. that's maybe because as you're realising now, there's not a lot of distinction between the two. It's just me. So I do tend to, whatever's going through my head, if it's a, a, something one of my kids has done that's driven me potty or Matt Hancock's reneged on his promise about home care, it just all gets like, I'm raging about this today. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you said, isn't it? You like you, you want to hear, you want your staff to feel like you hear them, that, that make sure that, you, that they know that you care. And, and then that's the kind of, almost the, the message that comes across from your your twitter feed is that, like you listen to people you, you show them that you care and and that mix of as you say the personality some things that aren't so corporate but as well as being in the role that you are it's yeah it's great yeah to see. it kind of fits into as you were saying that chief execs always have to have the answer and they should know everything whereas actually and i've said this before about having a bit of vulnerability and showing actually i'm just a person at the end of the day you know i'm just mm. doing what what I want to do and I'm trying my best at this that's going to be endearing to people and they're going to like you for it and respect you and, and trust you um, yeah and big charities particularly I think take a lot of stick for being really corporate and quite closed and and you know it just doesn't have to be like that and I just think you know social media I encourage all the staff to get out on social media if it was up to me the only line in our social media policy would say if you can't be a sunshine don't be a cloud the only social media rule. That should just be a rule for social media, yeah, shouldn't it? It's that just a rule. Oh, yeah, sunshine. Yeah. Just yeah. off. But I think I, I spotted, sorry, Kate, I think I spotted, was it this, this week or last week or something I spotted where is Alex, your director of fundraising, <laughs> like you said something about his budget or his target and like you basically poked fun that the target is massive, you better get after it. And it was just brilliantly done. And it was yeah. like, it was almost like an interaction that you'd have water cooler type moment that you had in Twitter in front of the whole uh, universe, which I thought was, was great and great for transparency. I think Alex had put something like he put a really serious tweet about the importance of integrating the organisation and chasing targets. And um, I think, you know, and I just put like, how's all that going for you? Oh, no, I think yeah. organisation structure, I was like, how's all that going for you then, Alex? Because <laughs> we had a conversation about an hour before, like, do you know what you're doing? I'm not sure I know what I'm doing here. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was really great. So I wanted to ask, I mean, I, I think I know myself working for, you know, previously working for Alzheimer's Research UK and working for a, with a cause such as dementia, which, you know, you can't avoid. We all can't avoid. I mean, the, the, the numbers are just ridiculous when you look at the amount of people impacted. But I wanted to, to ask a more broader question about how, where you find your inspiration. And I know the answer to that is, is quite easily in, in a lot of charity leaders, you know, the beneficiaries. But you personally, is there any kind of things in your life or, or yeah. aspects you look to for inspiration? For me, it is really, you know, of course, I'm really inspired by the cause. And it was a big decision, as I said earlier, to go to Alzheimer's Society, even going kind of probably just a little bit before I was ready, because I just felt this was something I really wanted to make a difference in. Hmm. But actually, I think my inspiration and this, you know, I don't mean this to sound cheesy, but really does come from staff and volunteers, because I get inspiration off stuff on social media and just uh, you know in some ways you know as people talk about you know the negativity of social media but actually I do find you know, a flick through Twitter can be a real force for good and some of the Black Lives Matter stuff you know some of the things that I've seen that other charities have done that I flicked it through on social media I was like oh god that's great you know that would be really inspiring and and I do have, have some great networks. I have a little WhatsApp group of some bonkers charity chief execs, uh, just a, a little group of us. They're really crazy and they're very good inspiration. They, and we share little tippets and snips and we big each other up all the time. And, you know, if someone's feeling down, they can just go on there and say, I'm not feeling it today. And everybody's in with the positive gifts. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I think it's just making sure that you've got a network around you that works for you. Um, mm. I do, you know, I love having those conversations with people with dementia and just hearing about what they're doing, you know, how they're making it work. Certainly when I worked at Quick Sergeant, working with young people if you've had a cancer diagnosis, it's, it is really empowering. But actually, I do get, I get a lot of inspiration from staff, you know, just from... People saying like, oh, I didn't think I could do it and I did it and look how well I've done, you know, and I just think that's that's the best thing you can ever hear from, from teams. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. That's so interesting. Them. You talking about your inspiration and then let's say that maybe the previous culture was a little bit more serious, maybe, and you've come in as this ray of sunshine. <laughs> Have you noticed a change? Like the, obviously, it's been difficult because you haven't been able to observe that kind of body language and face-to-face stuff. Have you... And everyone's on best behaviour when the new CEO comes in. Have you seen them kind of relax into that? And, and uh, has that changed as you've come in? Or do, is that just natural for you? Is it just normal? Um, yeah, I don't know what I like for, but they're really outrageously good fun, which I quite like. So on my, uh, on my Monday morning sofa chats, uh, we've obviously got the chat box running down the side on Zoom. And, you know, I start sometimes with a question. So like, week before last I said right uh I want you all to say hi and tell me where you wish you were not where you actually were because I usually go like hello from Portsmouth so, and so people were just putting in the chat like oh hello from the Bahamas and, <laughs> and then people were just like really random stuff like you know hello from Guantanamo Bay I was like oh dear like, <laughs> having a good week are you whoever that was but people just putting in really funky stuff we get some great, crazy conversations going. Tea cozies because I'm obsessed by tea. Do you make the tea? Do you still make the tea? Oh yeah. Oh, but that's because I have to drink it constantly. I am a chain tea drinker, so yeah. uh, and I don't make the tea. I have a pot. I carry a pot of tea around with me, 
and permanently. Yeah, I definitely still make the tea because it would be unreasonable. I need someone full time if I did too. <laughs> well, if there's yeah. any volunteers out there who would like to be Kate's, uh, you know, full time tea maker, maker. Yeah, there's a role there. Marvelous. That would be nice. As you've spoken, then you've mentioned about coaching, obviously playing a kind of good role in your career and being an important part of it. And we like to try and kind of, you know, share some people insight and if there's fundraisers who are listening or people in the sector who are thinking, okay, how can, what what do I need to be thinking about for my career? I just wondered if you had any, you would have any tips or you would have any things, examples of of things that have worked from you. Maybe coaching is it, maybe it's something else. So I do try to always try really hard to make sure that I do want at least one kind of concentrated significant piece of professional development a year so and that's maybe something that might take a couple of days so it might be a longer course or it might be something online that I do so I'm doing a kind of 16 week program at EDI at the moment where it's like one session a week it's only a short session but you know, and I try to really commit to doing something. So I do lots of work with Windsor Leadership Trust and I facilitate some of their sessions and it's a, that's a week-long commitment and I do that once every couple of years. But I, I do try to commit to my own professional development because I need that headspace actually to clear my thinking and keep me moving on. And I think that's important. I do think actually, I know I keep going about it, but I do think social media is really important for my own professional development. And I really now... And if my directors listen to this, they'll all moan because I do say, you know, I, I don't know I'd employ someone anymore that didn't have a, in a senior role, that didn't have a good social media presence because social media is such an important way of keeping your finger on the pulse about what's going on. And I, I say to the team, you know, if you're not on social media, how can you be cutting edge? Because you don't know where the edge is, you know, the edge, mm-hmm. the description of the best practice out there is constantly kind of rolling through social media, not only through social media. So I think coaching is is a really, I mean, I don't have a lot of coaching sessions. I've probably, I'm relatively reactive now in the way that I use coaching. That hasn't always been the case. Um, I, I went through a period when I finished my clause social leadership stuff and I became a chief exec for the first time, I did some quite routine coaching. So I did a session every two months for a, a period. Now I tend to do it when I've got a specific problem or something I want to work through. And I've just made myself really good friends with loads of really brilliant coaches. So they don't realize that when I say like, oh, you know, how are the children? Oh, by the way, I've got this problem. Do you want to talk it through with me? Uh, But I'm just (laughs) coaching very incredible people. Amazing. I think I'd agree on the on the on the social media side, because I, too, I think that's my my kind of go to for kind of learning because you can end up if you've got a spare hour. I mean, it tends to be late at night when you're avoiding you've had enough of emails for the day and you're like, right, I'm going to switch off. And then it's like, right, OK, what can I get? In, what rabbit hole can I find myself in now by going through Twitter? And it can be so it can vary so much. But, yeah, certainly a good, good destination. I think that curiosity, I think to to be you can be on social media and not tweet. You don't have to be public on it. You don't yeah. have to have a presence. But actually to not be on it is kind of, you know, you're missing out on a real variety of different stuff. You can go down the routes you want to take that down. You know, I learn about all sorts of stuff that I didn't intend to learn about when I set off that evening. But And I like that. And I think, the, I think being perpetually curious is such an important part of leadership. So I think, you know, having that kind of curiosity about like, what don't I know that I'd love to know more on 
one you know i started on social media it took me to a ted talk that inspired me to go off and look at something else about a topic they mentioned you know and then you have a conversation with someone about it and they know loads about it so it's just i know a lot of the training and development i've done myself around diversity and inclusion and privilege that's exactly how i've done it really just mm. got seen where it's taken me yeah. yeah and social media definitely gets a bit of a bashing doesn't it as, as being a, a pit of negativity but actually unless there was that negativity you wouldn't have the the positive side of it you do find the positivity in it and certainly this week we've been talking to people who in our previous episode will have been mentioning the, the facebook groups around furloughed fundraisers and the supportiveness of that and how everybody comes together and it's been really great at, at maybe a similar to your kind of whatsapp chat that they've been looking after each other and, and providing them with answers to questions that might come up in a tricky interview and that sort of thing yeah um, but maybe as we kind of look a little bit further forward coming out of the other side of this what else does 2020 have in store for you where do you want to get to this year with the new role um, so I'm really excited to be doing some really good work on culture at Alzheimer's Society and we've touched on it a few times. I think I think we've got got a really good culture but we haven't really articulated it. So I think our values still feel a bit unwritten for me. And you know, I think we, we instinctively know what they are. I'm thinking of putting levity in as one now. I think that <laughs> I would make that a formal value of the Alzheimer's Society, levity. I think that'd be superb. Take that um, one for free, Kate. Take that one I'm for free. I'm having that. I'm having that. <laughs> I didn't, it wasn't my line. I, I stole it from somebody else, so it's absolutely fine. Okay. I, I'm just having it anyway. I'll credit you. I think oh, we want to just do some work to really articulate the culture that we want and think about how we really get that going in quite a funky way. I want to, we're driving some more stuff about kind of transparency and just kind of opening the doors a bit more in the organisation. So we put out some stuff even in the last few days, some quite honest pieces about the impact of COVID-19 on the organisation, which has been really, really tough on our income and happened to be really looked with quite a critical eye over some of our service delivery, which is really hard because, you know, lots of people are highly reliant on our services. But we're just trying to explain those decisions, how we've got to those decisions, you know, even if we can't do anything about it and try and explain that so i think we've got some really great stuff coming up i think the way that we've used a lot of our virtual products you know some of the stuff we've had some brilliant learning off some of the stuff we've put online where reach has gone up hugely so many more people are accessing our products because they are online they're not face-to-face services they have a very deep rooted place in alzheimer's society and in people's hearts but we've been really surprised just how positively a lot of our virtual products of things like singing for the brain, you know, done virtually, just how brilliantly they're evaluating at the moment. So I think it's quite exciting to look at all those things and say, which ones of these should we keep? Future is bright. Yes, it definitely is, actually. It is. I, I think we'll get back to a point at which you incredible fundraisers will make the money flow back in. We'll be regrowing. And uh, I keep saying we might not be bigger, but we're definitely going to be better. That's so good. Nice. Look, Kate, I'm we're so conscious of your time. I'm sure your daughter needs some help with uh, A-level homework or, uh, or there's, there's dinner yeah, or, yeah. or there's another the, call to go on or something like that. The Northeast Regional Group. She's got to drop into that one. Hello. Yeah. I'm going Maybe camping this weekend, so you can keep me as long as you like. The longer I can put it off, the better. <laughs> oh, nice. That sounds like fun. We're going to got three quick questions for you that we always ask at the end. 
just to give our listeners a little bit more insight as if they haven't had it already. So we'll go to the first one. If you could transport yourself back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? I just say it's going to be all right. You're going to try so hard and you're going to be so worried the entire time that every little slip up is going to reflect badly on you. And actually, you know, just trust your gut about stuff. It'll be okay. It's fine to make it up as you go along. You don't need a life plan. It's fine. <laughs> you have listened to the podcast before. Good. Yeah, you can make one up. You can make one <laughs> we, up. we make it up as we go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you're 48 and someone interviews you for a podcast, just make up what the hell happened in your past. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, question number two for you can you tell us about one life hack or productivity tool or habit or skill that you have taught yourself recently you think everybody needs to know about god that's really hard Mm. (laughs) the answer to last week's podcast is going to take some beating though on that one a life hack that i've learned recently you can just prop your iPad up with a cardboard box on the radiator and it still works okay. Right? You just don't need to, despite the fact I thought I needed to buy loads of expensive furniture, now I was going to have to be working from home. It was just an excuse to spend. And actually, I have managed five months with an iPad and a cardboard box running one of the largest charities. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the pressure there when I said last last week's was going to be hard to yeah. top, but I, I should have explained that actually before giving you that. Last week's was fried banana and fried eggs for breakfast. That was the uh, that was the life hack or product to uh, exactly. So that's what I meant by that. But no, cardboard box. You've absolutely smashed it there, Kate. Thanks for your creativity. Thank you. Yeah. And the last one, so this is it, before we let you go. As a podcast that's focused on people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey recently who has done something good for others? Oh, do you know, it was a conversation I had today because I'm always so in the moment, but I had a conversation with a lady today who told me that about about September time she did our dementia-friendly training and she didn't, she wasn't sure about going on it and a friend persuaded her to go and she had ever, ever such a nice evening and uh, she learned lots about dementia, but it wasn't particularly relevant in her life. She didn't know anybody. And, but she said that uh, when lockdown happened, she knew that there was a lady in her little uh, neighborhood that had dementia. And she said that our training gave her the confidence to go and knock on that lady's door and explain who she was and see if she needed any help. And she said, if I hadn't had your training, I'd have been frightened to do that because dementia just seems really frightening. And what if she was confused? And, you know, what if she didn't know who I was? And she said, your training just gave me the confidence to go and make that knock on the door. And I just thought, you know what, what more can you hope to achieve in the terms of impact than that? It's just a lovely, inspiring story. It's exactly as you touched on earlier, isn't it? You don't need these big ideas to find inspiration. It's everywhere and it can be the smallest, tiniest thing. And that's amazing great well look kate i think we'll we'll wrap it up there thank you so much for your time thank you for your energy and everything that you continue to do and your levity (laughs) and any any final thoughts or anything you'd like to to leave us with just a fantastic thank you as girl to you guys all you do you know that i just love fundraisers across the uk anyway not just that in your podcast but uh you guys are the backbone of amazingness so i just wanted to say thank you Perfect. Lovely stuff. All right. 
Okay, right. we'll we'll let you go, uh, James. We'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. All right. All the best. Thanks, guys. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Speak soon. Bye. Before we go, next time we get chatting to Colin bergen Plus, who you probably know better as the Big Pink Dress. He tells us how he was a handy runner in his youth, but made the switch from RAF 400m record holder to running marathons in his increasingly elaborate creations. There's training in costume, how he can't stop, and why you should just ask for a selfie. If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk.